Um, you'll have to excuse me if my voice goes crazy. I don't have COVID. I do have cottonwood, though. Um, the cottonwood is killing me. But anyway, so um, just what a cool time to just uh, encourage our graduates to, uh, to, to talk to them. Um, I've, I've, I've kind of uh, sculpted the message a bit to, to speak into that, not just them, but, but to all of us, obviously, because uh, the, the Psalms of Ascent, again, were... They, these were songs that were sung by pilgrims as they were as they were coming to up to Jerusalem uh, for the for the three major festivals generally that that uh, that they were called to to come to and it's just part of the journey it's it's part of what 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 is our journey looking like what are we trusting in our journey and Psalm one twenty one particularly is going to uh, deal with that it starts by by just saying. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, and, and, and the mountain is just, it, it represents this, this place of, of, of major uh, difficulty, a, a, an obstacle in life, something that, that, that would seem insurmountable, something that would seem to be in the way. See, Jesus talked about mountains, and he told us that even just a, the faith, even the size of a mustard seed would, would cause those mountains to, to go away, that we could actually move those mountains with just a little bit of faith. And, and, and so in life, and certainly today, in our nation, in this world today, we certainly look out and we see things, problems, struggles, difficulties, and they would just seem to be almost insurmountable. When we look at the mountain, when we look up and we see this thing, what is it then that is gonna, are we going to trust in? What are we going to call upon to find hope, to find um, a way through this mess, really? Um, I think that what's interesting about the whole situation that we're in now is I think that God is just showing us that, you know what, uh, science is great, and, and, and we're, we're made for science. We're made to discover. We're made with an intellect and, and to pursue God and, and, and this world and how things tick and how things work. But, but there's, a, there's a limitation in that. It's not our Savior, and it never will be. Medicine is the same thing. It's a, it's a pursuit, and it's a great one, and it's so awesome that we've come as far as we have. But still yet, it's insufficient to produce for us today the problems that, that we're facing. Ultimately, medicine won't save us from death. We need a Savior that's greater than death, one that's conquered death and returned back to show us the way. So um, our technology, it's really not helping. It's good stuff, but the reality of our technology is, in ways, it's even inflaming the problems, even exacerbating the problems and the struggles we have. So the big question is, is what will we look to? From where will our help come from? When we find ourselves on the side of a cliff and we're just one feeling like if we just move, we're just going to fall where is it that our help is going to come from? What is it that we're trusting in? What are we believing in? Many times it's ourselves and our own ability, but in reality, when we get real about it, I have to understand that I've been the problem in my life. I've been the common denominator of almost every problem that I've had in my life. <clears throat> and where shall our help come from? My help comes from the Lord, it says, who made heaven and earth. See, really, the Bible is going to point us back to this idea that you have a creator. You have someone who made you, and he made you uniquely. He made you with unique fingerprints and, 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 and unique eyes, and he's put these markers on you. 
You have a unique genome within you that has never existed and will never exist again. It's the, it, our help comes from the one who made us. He's the one that we need to turn to. He's the one who's all-powerful. He's the one who's able to begin to make a difference in the world around us. He will not allow your foot to slip. It's this picture that as we're, as we're ascending this, this mountain, as we're going up, as we're struggling and we're making our way through life, that, that the assurance that we can have is that God is gonna hold us up. He's not gonna allow our foot to slip. That doesn't mean that there's not gonna be difficulties. It doesn't mean that in this journey that climbing this thing is gonna be easy. It's not. As a matter of fact, it's gonna be quite difficult. One of the promises that Jesus gave us was that in this world, that we would have trouble. But he also tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. He's given us a new way through. He's given us a new path and he stands beside us and ready to walk with us and encourage us. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The idea that God won't even get drowsy, that the, the physical limitations that you and I have are not affected by him. He's, he's never asleep. He's never unknowing. He's never uncaring. He's never somewhere else. He's never um, too preoccupied with running the universe to be concerned about our problems or where we're at or making sure that our foot doesn't sleep, slip. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's already always there. The Lord is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand, and the sun will not smite you by day. Imagine what this means to a desert culture, a people who live in the middle of a desert, just knowing that God is going to be your shade, your shadow. Psalm 91 tells us that those who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, it's that idea that if I take my rest and I find my security and, and my, my position in Him, that then the, the, the sun, the, the effects of the world around me won't have the same effect, that he won't allow the sun to overcome us, nor the moon by night. There will be no evil that besets us. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. And certainly the idea of night is the idea of, of evil and, and darkness and the unknown and what's out there and, and these different things. And the promise is, is that he will protect us and that he will keep us, that he will keep not just our physical lives, but our very soul, our being. See, because at the end of the day, what we really need is that we need somebody who's going to deliver us even out of this life and save us even from death itself. It's the picture of a Savior that we really need. It says that he will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever that God is, he's there, that he is, he's the good shepherd. And, and that as we go out and we go out into the world each and every day, it's him that's guarding it. And it's him that's also gathering us back up and bringing us in. And his promise is to be with us and to protect us from this time forth and forever. And that's the, that's the end of, of, of Psalm 121 there. And, and, and it, it's, a, it's a psalm that just speaks of what are you trusting in? What are you believing in? Where is your hope? And, and I just want to say that I, I see a world out there that's greatly in need of hope. So as we think about this and we think about 
our graduates, and we think about the world that we're living in, we think about the struggles and the, the difficulties, those insurmountable mountains that, that seem to be out there, and we're worried that in our journey that our foot is going to slip, that we're not going to make it. But I'm going to say that this, that I'm going to encourage us as a body that what we really need is we need, we need to get back as the church. We need to get back to living out Christian principles in our lives. We need to not just live them out, but, but we need to be internally motivated to do the things that God has called us to do. We, we've got to become the church again. We've got to recognize that God has a calling on the church. And, and I think that we need to repent and, and realize that the, the church hasn't lived up to the calling that God has put on us that we've gotten distracted, that we've, we've looked to other things. We've believed that every other thing would be our savior. Ourselves, our bank accounts, our, our things, our possessions, our abilities, our technology, our medicine, our science would save us. And none of those things are gonna do it. I want us to look and I want us to consider some of the social justice issues that are in the world today. And I want, I want us to just go through a bunch of scripture and I want you to hear what God says about some of these things. John 16, it says, I've said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 68, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. God is saying that when you, when you follow me, when you truly follow my principles, you're going to be blessed. Anybody who follows the principles that are laid out by the Bible is going to find blessings in their lives because they work and because they're true and because the creator of us knows how to order our lives. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7 says, It's not the fast that I have chose to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It is not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. See, there's a picture. Again, there's a calling on the church that God has called the church to be the church. And I'm, I'm afraid that many times the church has relegated too many of the missions of the church out to the government and out to the world around us. And we really need to get back in. We need to dig back in, and we need to be something that stands out. We need to be a city on a hill that when people see it, they see the light that's, on, that's there. It needs to become an attractive place for people to come because God knows how we need to live. Marriage and family, I'm going to say, is the, is, the, is the first and foremost thing that we need to get back to. Some of the root struggles that we are facing today are because we don't understand marriage and we don't understand family. As a matter of fact, the, the divorce rate is about 40 to 50% in our culture today, and it's not much better in the church. The problem with the church is that the church has adopted the, the systems and the ways of the world and, and then somehow expected to get different results than they are. 
marriage and family and the divorce rate in our world, and I'm not throwing rocks at anybody who's been there, but it's, a, it's an absolute blight on, our, on, our, on the world around us. It's the cause of, of deep pain in the lives of children. It's, it's a cause of, of real struggles. It's a cause of absentee parents. And it's, it's, the, it's, it's the, the uh, just, it completely destroys the security of children when it doesn't work out. You see, marriage and the family are really the cornerstone of society as God has laid it out. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That a man and a woman are meant to, to actually, at a certain point, break off from their parents and create their own family unit, right? And this is how this thing goes out. Malachi 2.16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and to him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Psalm 127, three through five, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. See, it's a, it's a blessing and children are a blessing and marriage is a blessing and God's way of doing it is something that we have to get back to Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. There's a high call for, for, for husbands, for men, for fathers to, to be godly men, to be godly husbands and to be godly fathers so that their households might flourish. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to be careful. We're supposed to watch the strength that we've been given, and we're supposed to bless our children, not to frustrate them, but to bring them up in a good way, to model relationship for them so that they might then go on and make their own homes and that they might also do healthy relationship together. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a, there's a mutual respect that's called in this relationship. There's a, a kind of a symbiosis of, of, of all of this. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Joshua 24.15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, God, he's, he's created marriage. Marriage wasn't a random thing that God just did. It's, a, it's actually meant to be a reflection of who he is. It's meant to be a reflection that goes out into the world around us that displays the nature and the character and the goodness of God. Wealth and poverty, we, we, we're, we're in a, a time where, where we have great income gaps and, and, and we're wrestling with some of these things. And there's some really interesting things that are going on. Like, as a matter of fact, the top three wealthiest men in the, in the United States control the same amount of wealth as the bottom 50% of America. The top 26 people in the world control the same wealth as the bottom 3.8 billion. It's, it's, it's unreal. It's, it, it's really a, a, an interesting picture and it's something that we have to deal with. Deuteronomy 15, 11 says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. 
Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brothers, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. You know, I think that in our culture today, we want to end up in a place of fairness, but I don't know that we're actually ever going to get there. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there's always going to be poor and there's going to be a wealthy. There's going to be a disparity in this realm, but it calls those who have to be giving. It calls us to, to, to recognize the call on our lives and to open our hand to our brother. The, the, the problem with us and wealth is that it begins, to, it begins to take us further into ourselves, into a place of greed. And, and that's the problem. You see, the problem isn't money. Money has no morality. Money's perfectly fine. The morality of money is in the heart of those who possess it and who use it. Proverbs 22, 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. James 1, 9 through 10, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. See, see God has got this thing where, where it's, the, it's the great leveling field that says you're not to sum of your stuff. You're not to sum of your bank account that actually your value is, is much greater than that. And if you find yourself in poverty, understand who you are in Christ, that you are to be lifted up and you're up here. But if you're wealthy, understand there's a real necessity to be humble and to recognize that, that, that we need to humble ourselves under, the, under God. And it just levels the playing field right there. It doesn't change anybody's economic situation, but it does change our mental outlook on it. It takes someone who has a lot of money and and it causes them to be humble and recognize that they're a steward. But it also says you're not the sum of your poverty and you're also not the sum of how much stuff you've got, that life is much deeper than that. It's It's much more than that. It's not just your stuff and it's not your poverty. It's your position in Christ. It's identity. It's about identity. It's, it's not about things. It's about what is really valuable. It's about where is real worth found and real worth is found in understanding who we are through our creator. And I'm gonna say that real change in this world, there's a necessity that we have to begin to understand and rightly um, see the world through the eyes of our creator and to understand that he's given us good ways, ways to give us the whole thing. Mark 14, 7, for you will always have the poor with you. This is Jesus. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. As for the rich in their present age, charge them not to be haughty or to see their hopes of the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation in the future so that they may take hold of, of which is truly life. See, God is saying that this is real life, is generosity, hospitality, these good things. James two fourteen through 17. What, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says, oh, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have the works, is dead. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. This is the problem, right? This is the issue. The issue is where is our heart? If you want to know what God is after in your life, he's after your heart. And too many times these other things begin to take the position of God in our lives. They begin to own our heart when our heart was never meant to be owned by these things. Acts 20, 35, and all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Race and equality, big issue today, right? A big issue in the world and the culture around us and causing great division in the world and great upset. Listen to some of the things that God has to say about that. It says that God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is why we as Christians understand that every life has great value, that intrinsically people have rights that are given to them, not because they're given by men, but because they're given by God. And they can't then be taken away because they're a mark and they're part of the very nature, the very essence of their creator. You see, we understand that all people have great value because they were created in the image of God that they're image bearers of God. And so when we look at people, we're supposed to understand that, that from one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and that he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You see, God says that he has made from all mankind from one blood, one blood. We're all one race, the human race. Acts 17, 26, uh, or no, sorry, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, the Bible says that in heaven there will be no people group, no no, no tribe, no language that does not have representation in heaven. That God's love is for all people. And it's his desire that they would all have a relationship with him. Peter began to speak and says, now I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Judge, uh, Romans 10, 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
1 Timothy 5.21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. Charity and hospitality. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you want to be religious, that's what God says to be religious about. Go out and help orphans. Go help the marginalized. Go help the orphans and the widows, those who have no help, those who need us. The Bible says if you want to be religious, go out into the world and take care of them. Isaiah 58.10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. 1 John 3.17.18, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That's an interesting thing, and I think it's God's principle for welfare, honestly. You see, but in this picture, the poor went and they gleaned, they went and they gathered. You know why? Because there's dignity in work. There's dignity in work, and when we allow people to work to earn, there's a dignity, there's a good return in their hearts for that, and so God understands that, and this is how he set out the way that welfare should look. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all of the tithe of your produce in the same year, lay it up with your towns and the, uh, and the Levite because he has no portion or inheritance with you. And the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are with your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you all in the works of your hands that you do. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Luke 3, 10 and 11, at the, and the crowds asked, what then shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none and whoever has food to do likewise. Luke 14, 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Romans 15, 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the with the failings and the weakness and not to please ourselves. Justice, justice is a huge issue in our world. We wanna have justice. Psalm 82, three and four, God is the God of justice. And he says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Numbers 15, 16, one law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Proverbs 24, 23, these are also the sayings of the wise, to show partiality in judging is not good. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Leviticus 19, 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. 
Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and ask to seek to show hospitality. Zechariah 7, 10, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Refugees. We have a refugee problem in the world today. In the world, there is estimate, there is, um, it is estimated that there are over uh, 30 million people that are refugees presently. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore some have entertained angels unawares. Leviticus 19.33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Deuteronomy 10, 19, love the sojourner, therefore you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Matthew 2, 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Jesus himself and his family were refugees. Leviticus 19, 34 and 35, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment. Slavery. Do you know that we live in a time right now when there is more slavery than there has been at any other point in time in human history? As a matter of fact, there are roughly about 40.3 million people in modern slavery today. There are 400,000 within the United States. And whether that be indentured servitude or sexual slavery or, or whatever that looks like, there are about 400,000 within our own nation. Psalm 146.7 says, Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16, you shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose with one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Philemon, the entire book of Philemon is a request from Paul to his friend to set um, a, a slave uh, named Onesimus free. You see, the Bible and, and slavery, the entire movement was led, really, the abolitionist movement was led largely by Christians. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Matthew 25, 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Matthew 5, 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. James 2, 8, 9, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors or lawbreakers. 
Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of scripture, but it's a lot of scripture that I hope points out and continues to point out God's heart for the world around us and the, and the high calling on our lives as the church to go to, to make disciples out of all the nations. Because I'm gonna tell you that I don't believe that politics is gonna help our world. I don't believe that um, creating some sort of a political utopia is gonna help us at all. We've, we've tried that. Graduates and all of us here, you're gonna be challenged to put your faith aside. You're gonna be told that religion is the problem. That if we just get rid of religion, that we'll solve the world's problems. That all of the wars of the world and all of these different things have been caused by religion. I, I'm gonna say that that if we began to live into those principles, that, that, that those principles are actually the thing that hold us in. That as we see our nation and our world slip away from uh, Christian principles, what we see is a world that is elevated in slavery, a world that is elevated in racism, a world that is elevated in injustice and these things. I will challenge you to look to history and, and see that getting rid of religion and creating a utopia of fairness is a failed experiment. It was referred to as socialism and communism. Men like Karl Marx, Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, Pol Pot, and Mao Zedong committed themselves to it, and 100 million people died in the name of atheism. The problem is the, with the human nature. The problem is sin and it lives within the human heart. The solution to our problems is to be restored in our relationship back to God. Or the problem is sin, the solution is the cross, and this is the place that we need to lead people to. It's gonna take people with a changed heart to change the world around us. My challenge to you is to chase God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to see God's principles for living restored within our culture. We're in dissent because we have forsaken our creator. We have asked him to leave, and he has politely stepped aside and left us to ourselves. He will gladly step back in and restore us if we will so desire. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We need our land healed. We need God to show up, but he's, he's going to ask us that we would invite him back in. Please don't hear that I'm asking you to attend church. That's been part of the problem. What I'm asking you to do is to become a committed follower of Christ, to let Jesus be first and foremost in your life, to let his word guide you in everything that you do, to be the lens that you see life through. Pew Research says that Christianity is on decline and in the last decade that it's went down about 12% and that there's a group of young people that are called nuns and that's went up about 10%, and it's at about 26% of people right now that claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. Maybe to some degree this has always been the case. 
historically, there was probably a cultural pressure to, to be check the box as a Christian. That's kind of not around as, anymore. And so um, I don't know how big of a change that is. But they're saying that we're in a post-Christian nation, and I, I totally believe that. There's never been a time or a place that, that we've needed to step up and truly be the church in our time that we've ever seen like today. There's a call for change. There's a call for justice. I hope you're maybe even surprised to hear that those things beat within the heart of God as well, that these are principles, these are things laid forth in his word for us. I'm not going to tell you that, that uh, you know, to follow your heart in all that you do, please don't do that. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble. Follow God's word and follow God's heart in all that you do. I'm not going to tell you that you can just do anything that you set your mind to do. I won't be telling you that it's just up to you now. It's going to take all of us corporately together to face the challenges and to bring solutions into this world. But I am going to tell you that the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's follow God's scripture. Let's follow his word. Let's follow his recipe for life. And let's let it begin in us. It has to begin in, in us. Revival begins with me. And, 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 and so I'm just going to encourage you to practice what God has called us to do. Let's make disciples. Let's go to the nations. Let's start with us, start with our community, and let's have a ripple effect that keeps going out. I believe that God is calling his church now. I believe that God wants to do an amazing thing. And I believe that God's word is obvious in what he wants to do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your, your heart is for us. Your heart is for life. Your heart is for, for, um, for each and every human being on this earth. And, and your desire is a relationship with us, that you've, you've done everything on your end to make that possible. And so, Lord, we recognize and know that there's a, there's a need on our end that we would agree with you, that to have an authentic love relationship, that that, that requires two to agree. So, Lord, we want to agree with you this day. And for anybody out there who's, who's never agreed with you the, and, and a relationship and, and asked for a relationship with you, I pray that today might be the day of their salvation, the day that they ask for forgiveness, the day that they re receive all that you've done in their lives, that they receive the forgiveness and the love and the restoration. Lord, we thank you that you have, you have made that a simple uh, possibility for us at any point in time in our lives, that it's never too late, that we've never gone too far, but that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, we just lift up our world. We lift up our nation. We lift up the struggle and the division. And we just recognize and acknowledge, Lord, that it's only you that can come. It's only you that's our helper. It's only you that's able to bring unity and to bring love and light back into the world around us. That, Lord, that the problem lies in us, that we're the common denominator in our problems, Lord, and what we need is a Savior. So we cry out, Lord. We ask that you would intervene in our world. We, 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 we ask that you would intervene in our own hearts, Lord, and that you would help us to just do business with you. Help us to strip away anything that we're believing that's not true. Anything that's not in agreement with your word, Lord, help us that we might live in a way that brings all the glory and all the honor and all of this world right back to you. May your will be done on this earth, Lord, 
as it is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name.